If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha HaShavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. And a wonderful air of Shabbos to all of you. Great to be with you again to talk about the parasha, to talk about the week, to talk about life and to see how Torah gives us some insight, to give us some direction, to give us the ability to understand life as it should be understood. Life, after all, is a gift from God. And in order to understand how to use that gift properly, how to appreciate that gift properly, we have to understand the gift based upon the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God, of course, is the Torah. And the Torah gives us insight. Torah is clarity. Torah is the book of truth. And truth comes directly from Hashem. And when we apply the truth of Torah to the gift of life, life becomes far more meaningful, far more purposeful. And in fact, the clarity of life becomes far more fundamental, far clearer as well. It's a special Shabbos, Shabbos Mavarkam. We are going to bless the new month of Tammuz, month which is, in a sense, a complicated month. It's a month that brings to mind the three weeks, it brings to mind the beginning of the destruction. It's a month that speaks to us about sadness. It's a month that talks to us about twice in our history when the Holy Temple the Bet HaMikdash, the Batei HaMikdash, the two temples were destroyed. It's a time that we think about moments in history when we lost the clarity, when we lost the light of godliness, and we were sent into exile. And we think to ourselves, as we bless this new month, what is it really all about? What are we blessing? At the same time, you know, three weeks begins with the 17th of Tammuz, and strangely, but not simply, coincidentally, 17 is the gematria, the numerical value of tov, of good. And we are obligated to understand how could there be any indication of good within the 17th of Tammuz? How could there be something good in something which is so clearly sad, destruction, a moment, a time of exile, something that sent us so far away, not only geographically, but more so spiritually, more so, in essence, away from the light of Hashem. That was holy, that which was special, was taken from us. We were sent far away. How could we possibly understand the goodness? And as we've discussed so many times over the years, we have to understand that not everything which appears superficially is the fact so. The month of Tammuz is connected with the tribe of Reuven, Reuven being the first son of Jacob, the first born of the tribes, and it's connected with the human quality of sight. Now, sight depends really upon light. The better the light, the better you see what has to be seen. In actual fact, our sages tell us that Adam, first human being, had the most powerful sight. He was able to see from one end of the world until the other. He had perfect sight. Because when we see something, we don't see it as it should be seen. We see it in a limited capacity. 
We see it in a superficial capacity. Yes, there are those who might see it with a bit more depth, with a bit more insight, with a bit more clarity. But all of us, all of us see something to a limited degree. If we could see something absolutely as it should be seen, not only as it appears on a superficial basis, but as it should be seen, we would be astounded as to what anything and everything really contains. Because if we would see the innermost dimension of everything, we would see with absolute clarity the incredible divine gifts that everything possesses. We look at things superficially. Difficulty, good times. We tend to skate over the surface. We tend to respond to the surface. But if we would take the time and apply ourselves and use the knowledge that Hashem gives us to look into something, we would understand that sometimes that which appears to be the most difficult in actual fact contains the biggest blessing. And while, of course, that is a difficult concept to accept, and certainly a difficult concept to experience, but nonetheless, those who've gone through those experiences and had the courage, the wisdom, to look into experiences of life with depth, with honesty, and ultimately with clarity, have seen the blessing, the light within the darkness. And this is why we speak about the 17th of Thomas having an element of Tov. Because sometimes that which is truly good is so hidden, contained within levels and levels of darkness, covered up with all sorts of dimensions that have to be removed. And only when they are do we see the essential and powerful and incredible good that is contained deep within. The month of Tammuz, although it appears to be a time that ushers in sad moments in Jewish life, it's a time of tremendous, tremendous opportunity. It's a time that brings with it opportunity of light, opportunities of greatness. The word Tammuz actually means light and heat. In the north, particularly, when we speak about seasons, when we speak about time of year, we speak of how things are in the Holy Land of Israel. It's a time of the heat of summer. Tammuz is heat. And heat can, on the one hand, be unpleasant, destructive. But at the same time, it brings intensity of warmth, intensity of life. That's what we're blessing in Shulan Shabbos, Tammuz, a time of tremendous opportunity notwithstanding the superficiality of difficulty that may appear. More of that soon. This is the Pasha HaShavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. And this idea of looking deeper into the situation comes to mind as we take a look at the Parsha of the week, because it is a complicated, troubling Parsha. The Parsha Ishlach, the famous story of how Moshe sent the heads of the tribes to investigate 
the land, the promised land, before the Jewish people entered. And how they went and what they saw and came back, not only with a negative report, but with a report that caused the Jewish people to lose courage and refuse to enter the promised land. And they came back with a report which brought such tremendous, tremendous loss of hope on the part of the Jewish people that God had to punish them in the most terrible way that he said, you will all perish in the wilderness and it's only your children in 39 years from now that will enter the land. All of you are going to perish here in the wilderness over the next 39 years. What happened? These were great men. These were righteous men. These were pious men. These were men of wisdom, of faith, leaders, each one the head of a tribe. These were men, the Torah testifies on Nashim. They were men of caliber. Moshe knew each and every one of them. He entrusted them with a tremendous mission. And yet they went into the promised land and came back with a terrible, terrible negative report. What happened? And while, of course, we can interpret the story in so many different ways, we have to look at some of the more classical interpretations and then try to understand a deeper, perhaps Kabbalistic or mystical interpretation of the story. On a simple level, on a literal level, there are a number of ways of looking at the story. It was fear. They come into a land, powerful people, giants, and they think to themselves, how are they ever going to conquer this land? Here they are, a nation coming out of slavery, a nation that had no military experience whatsoever. How could they possibly ever take possession of this land? This land is occupied by mighty men and mighty armies. And yes, of course, God helped them along the way. But will God continue to help them? Perhaps they thought to themselves, the miracles will come to an end. They're coming into a new land, and it'll be up to them and them alone to do whatever they can from a human point of view to take possession of the land. And there's no way that this nation, who only a short while ago was a nation of slaves, could possibly do battle against these powerful people. And it's this fear that caused them to come back with a negative report and tell the people, no, we cannot. We cannot possibly go into that land because what we witnessed, what we saw, was so frightening. Giant men, men of power. There's no way in the world we could ever take possession of the land. Best we stay here in the desert and make the best of what we have. That's one way of looking at the story. There's another way of looking at the story. As we look at the words that they actually said, they had a tremendous inferiority complex. They said we felt like insects in the presence of those people. It wasn't that they were afraid as much as they felt inferior. Notwithstanding the fact that they were individuals who witnessed and experienced the most incredible miracles of God. 
coming out of Egypt. They witnessed the ten plagues. They witnessed the mighty nation of Mitzrayim of Egypt being crushed, crossing the sea of reeds, the matter falling from heaven, being protected day and night against all the elements of the desert and the wilderness. And yet, they had this inferiority complex. We felt kachagovim, like grasshoppers, like insects, in the presence of these huge people. And while, of course, God did that on purpose, so the people shouldn't bother them, but they misinterpreted They just had a terrible, terrible inferiority complex. And they thought to themselves, no, we can never take possession of this land. We're too small. We'll never do it. We're too weak. We don't have the strength. We don't have the ability. We don't have this. We don't have that. We don't have the other. We're like insects. No courage. No self-esteem. No ability to look at oneself and say, I can do it. I have the wherewithal. I have the ability. No. Inferiority. And then even worse than that, another way of looking at it is loss of faith. Some of the commentaries point out in the words that they used, they suggested that even God, even God couldn't do battle against these giants. Can you believe that? They saw the mighty nation of Mitzrayim being crushed. And yet here they they came to the conclusion that even God, they are stronger even than him, him with a capital H. And the question is asked, as we look at that story and we take the literal explanation as I just said, how was it possible they came to these strange conclusions, whether it was fear or inferiority? Or perhaps loss of faith. Difficult to accept that that happened to these pious, strong, courageous men. Men who were the heads of tribes. Men who witnessed miracle after miracle. And this is why even though one cannot really move away from the literal explanation of what happened, one has to take a deeper look as to actually what they were thinking And while the words that they were using, as I said, can be interpreted and are interpreted in a literal way, that there was fear and there was inferiority and there was a loss of faith. But what was the subtext? What was the underlying factor that caused them to behave in the way that they did? And this is why when we take a look at what the Kabbalistic writers, the Hasidic masters tell us what motivated them was altogether different. They thought to themselves, by going into the promised land, their whole life would change. In the wilderness, they lived a perfect, idyllic life. The manna fell from heaven. They were protected by the clouds day and night. The elements didn't bother them. 
And they were able to devote all their time to holy things, to the study of Torah. This was the generation that our sages refer to as Dordea. Men of super intellect. They witnessed, they witnessed Matan Torah, revelation at Sinai. This was a generation of tremendous, tremendous scholarship, of tremendous holiness. And they felt that by going into the land and having to actually begin to earn a living, a livelihood through work, that instead of the manna coming down from heaven, they would have to work the land, to plow the land, to seed the land, and to wait for the harvest, and then to have bread by, well, milling, kneading, and baking. That would take away from their time of Torah study. They would have to spend so much of their time in mundane activity that their lives would irrevocably be changed to a mundane existence. Most of their time would be taken up with simple tasks and time for study of Torah would be reduced, radically reduced. And this is what they didn't want. And this is why they came back to the people and they said, it's it's a land that devours its inhabitants. It's a land that in actual fact will radically change our lives. Here we are in the most perfect situation in the wilderness. Every physical need is taken care of by God himself on a daily basis. We can devote our lives to spiritual activities, the study of Torah. There, we ourselves will have to work and work hard in order to provide for our families, in order to bring a loaf of bread to the table, in order to have a half-decent material, physical, comfortable life. And this is why they said, no, we don't want to go into that life. We don't want to give up this perfect isolation that we have. We would prefer to stay right here. But that too, that too is a terrible mistake. Because this is precisely what God wants. God wants us to enter into the world and to deal with the world. To have the courage, the strength, and the ability to deal with the world. That's what God wants us to do. Of course, there has to be time for the study of Torah. And of course, there are those who devoted to a far greater degree than others. Absolutely. That every one of us must have times of study. But Hashem wants us to work the land, deal with the world, to have the courage, the strength, to meet the challenge of the world head on correctly, according to the laws of Torah, according to the directives of Torah. Whatever we do in the world cannot be haphazard, cannot be without without the discipline of Torah. But that's precisely what Hashem wants us to do. And this is why the fear, the inferiority, the loss of faith, all of that is, well, secondary. The underlying factor was a refusal to deal with the world as God wanted them to. More of that soon.
This is the Pasha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. So we're talking about how do we do this? How do we actually confront the world? But Hashem said this generation is not ready for that. They've shown that they don't have the necessary wherewithal. Yes, they'll make great scholars. They can live in the desert, protected. But they're not ready to enter into the promised land. But the children that they were so worried about, <laughs> they were worried about the children going into the promised land and being, well, that generation will go into the promised land and they will have the ability of meeting the challenges of the world and creating a balance. They will study the Torah, but they will also work the land. And this is something which is so important for us to understand. And this is why, as we continue in the Parsha, strangely enough, what comes right after the story of the Miraglim, of the agents who went in and how God had to punish them and tell them a year for every day that you went into the promised land and came back with a bad report. What comes right after that? commandments that the Jewish people had to fulfill when they came into the promised land. And the commentaries asked the obvious question. It's going to be 39 years later. And even then, only when the people have taken full possession of the land. Why talk to us about those commandments now to tell us that the people will come into the promised land? It's not going to be forgotten. And those 39 years will pass pretty quickly. And the day will come when the people will come into the land and they will have to fulfill those commandments. And this is something which is important for us to understand. That history and destiny play incredible roles. As I mentioned before, the month of Tammuz, you can't look at something as it stands now. You have to understand it within context, but you also have to understand it in its origin and in its complete fulfillment, the entirety of the situation, and then you see the divine gift. It's an incredible part, it's an incredible story. It's an incredible situation that talks to us about so many different things. You take a look at the Haftarah. Joshua sends in quietly this time. Two people investigate the city of Jericho. Who does he send? He sends in Kalev, who remained loyal to his mission in the time of Moshe, three, nine years before. And he sends in Pinchas. We'll read about him in a couple of weeks' time. Another great hero. A great hero who sanctifies the name of God. And they come back with a positive report quietly. But they weren't going to talk about if they should go into the promised land. This, that. No, they were going to talk facts. How to fulfill that mission. How to enter into the promised land. What was the mood of the people and how to deal with it. Very practical. This is what was needed, and that was missing 39 years before. At the end of the Parsha, we come across a very strange story. The story of the Makoshish. And who was the Makoshish? A man was found collecting wood on Shabbat. A terrible sin. He was, well, desecrating, violating the Shabbos, publicly, and he was warned, don't do it. And he disregarded, and he had to be punished. Terrible punishment. The Medrash tells us something very strange. That this individual did this 
not because he wanted to, God forbid, violate the Shabbos. But he did this in order to save the Jewish people and to send a message of holiness. And you ask yourself, how, why, what? Because what happened after God said, all of you will perish in the desert, your children will go to the promised land. Many people thought, well, if that's the case, we're not going into the promised land, that all our obligations to fulfill mitzvahs have fallen away as well. Now we can do whatever we want. Yes, we'll continue to study the Torah. But the obligations of fulfilling the mitzvot, the commandments, they are no longer relevant. They are no longer operative. And he did what he did in order to publicly demonstrate that you have to fulfill the commandments, even though they will live and perish in the desert. The commandments were sacrosanct. They were still not only relevant, but absolutely binding. A very strange story. A story that again reads one way, but upon a closer examination and in depth has an altogether different meaning. And this is what I spoke about earlier on, seeing things from a different perspective. We see it as it appears, and then we see it on a deeper level. We see the text, we see the subtext. We uncover the obvious, the superficial, the surface, and we see what's inside. And this is something which is so important for us to do, to understand the content deep within, because that's where the gift is. That's where the power is. That's where the energy is. That's where the divine truth lies. And we're capable of doing it. It takes effort, it takes energy, it takes knowledge, it takes courage and wisdom. It's something which the Miraglim didn't have, and that's why they came back with a negative report. They misread the situation, perhaps with the best intentions, but they misread it nonetheless. But again and again within the Parsha, and within this month, and within the coming weeks, we will see again and again this incredible story, this incredible idea of seeing things correctly. This coming week on Thursday, the third of Tammuz, is the yard site of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe had tremendous, tremendous sight. He accepted the leadership of Chabad Lubavitch at a time when, well, soon after the Holocaust. And everybody was, well, concerned about the direction of Yiddishkeit coming to an end. But the Rebbe had a vision. And the Rebbe spoke about tremendous, tremendous hope and development. And people thought that he was misreading the situation. That it was going nowhere. And we take a look at his vision now. And we see how true it was. And this is why we have to listen. We have to listen to people that have great vision. Because they can guide us and they do guide us. Listen to the Parsha when you're in Shul tomorrow. Every section has a wonderful story to tell. And as I always say, listen to that part that talks to you. Because it has an important message to give. Different dimensions, different stories, different insights. The Chavis.